edition of With All Due Respect. Strong opinions on politics, life, and entertainment. Politics, life, entertainment. Politics, life, entertainment. Welcome to another edition of with all due respect, the podcast that is cooler than the other side of the pillow. Hello, everybody. My name is Andrew Halker. I'm your host. With me, as always, is my sidekick, Van Sanders. Mr. Sanders, how are you today? Hey, I'm all right, man. Uh, working on weird, fun stuff as usual. Excited to be here. Excellent. And what is the good word from abodabobrand.com this week? Uh, this week, I'm working on a... 40-foot fifth wheel, turning it into a giant bass, uh, doing some 3D work that others are turning into foam and metal frames. It's going to be pretty cool. Random. Excellent. Excellent. And I encourage everybody to check out Van's website. As always, I would like to thank the Anchorage Daily News for hosting this podcast on their platform and remind listeners that the very strong opinions you hear on this show are mine and mine alone, and in no way, shape, or form reflect the opinions of the Anchorage Daily News or their employees. On this episode of With All Due Respect, we're going to cover two areas in the next 15 minutes. We're going to talk about politics, we're going to talk about the mayor's race, and then we'll switch to entertainment, where we'll talk about a young British lad named Davy Jones. Politics. And now, for some politics. Yes, let's talk politics. Let's talk local politics. Anchorage voters electing a new mayor this week. Who's it going to be? Forrest Dunbar, Dave Bronson. What I want to cover here in this quick segment, I want to cover three areas. I want to give you some thoughts on the initial April 6th election. I want to cover the fact that that both Bronson and Dunbar together are two of the least qualified mayoral candidates in the history of Anchorage. And the third thing is I, I want to look ahead and talk about what the possibilities might be between today and Election Day on May 11th. First, some thoughts on the April 6th election. For, for me, the biggest surprise was the performance of Mike Robbins. I, I looked at him as you know, really one of the front runners as this race started. He broke out of the gates fast last fall. He, he had really climbed on board the, the homeless issue in Midtown, the attempted purchase by the assembly of, of the facilities of the hotels and the Alaska Club. Um, he had a good campaign launch. Seemed like he had a good social media campaign. He had a good organization. I really thought from the conservative side of the ballot that, that he would just continue to progress up the ladder. Bronson would flatten out. But what happened was as soon as the assembly's purchases of these facilities kind of died out in the media and the threat was no longer there, you saw the separation start to occur between Robbins and Bronson, whereas Bronson continued to hang on to the mask mandate, you know, big brothers after us. And then once the facilities issue was no longer there, Robbins had no issue. Meanwhile, Bronson had totally cornered the market on the anti-government, anti-pandemic, anti-mask issue, so Robbins had nowhere to go. And then, to add insult to injury, the press started writing articles about how he had a history of not paying his bills. And so when you're left without a core issue, and instead your issue becomes that you haven't been paying your bills, the outcome usually isn't that favorable. 
It actually reminds me a lot of the Dan Coffey campaign from 2015. Here was a candidate who started out of the gate fast, had a lot of money, had a splashy campaign, had some key endorsements, but finished a dismal fourth. And like Robbins, done in by his own missteps. So now I'd like to switch gears and talk about experience. Because one of the things that concerns me about both of these candidates is that their experience together represents the least qualified candidate for mayor in the history of the city of Anchorage. And in order to understand this, let me take you back in time and let's talk about prior mayors in Anchorage history. A history lesson. Up until 1975, the city of Anchorage as we know it today was basically comprised of two different components. You had the city of Anchorage and you had the borough of Anchorage. In 1975, voters approved to combine the two thereby becoming the city of Anchorage. The first mayor of the city of Anchorage was George M. Sullivan. George M. Sullivan, to this day, established the high bar when it comes to mayoral experience. This is a guy who was elected to the Fairbanks City Council and then moved to Anchorage, was appointed to the state legislature, and then ran and was elected to the Anchorage City Council, and then was elected the mayor of Anchorage in 1967. Eight years later, when everybody got together and said, hey man, let's make like one cool city, George Sullivan said, yo, I'll just continue doing what I'm doing. And he continued to be mayor. Of course, he won the election, beat the borough mayor, then he became the mayor of all Anchorage, served for six years. George M. Sullivan today has set the bar for the most qualified mayor in Anchorage's history. However, every mayor thereafter has had both a combination of business and government skills. George M. Sullivan was followed by Tony Knowles, who was a successful restaurateur and served on the assembly. He was followed by Tom Fink, who was Speaker of the House and, for a long time, owned a very successful insurance agency. He was followed by Rick Maestrom, who was president of Maestrom Advertising, one of Alaska's largest advertising agencies, and Maestrom had served on the assembly. Maestrom was followed by George Wirch, who not only was president of a global engineering firm, but Wirch had served on the assembly, including a term as chair. He was followed by Mark Begich, who was a small business owner and a property developer, not only had been a former mayoral candidate, but had also served three terms on the assembly. He was followed by Dan Sullivan, who was a restaurant owner and had served three terms on the assembly, who was followed by Ethan Berkowitz, who owned three restaurants and was a minority leader in the State House of Representatives. All of the mayors up until today have had a combination of business and public policy experience. Looking at the candidates in this race, both Forrest Dunbar and Dave Bronson, although their political ideologies are miles apart, their experience over the course of their lives is pretty similar. Dave Bronson went to college, joined the military, then became a commercial airline pilot. Forrest Dunbar went to college, joined the Peace Corps, then joined the military. Dunbar has public policy experience. He sat on the assembly for three years. Bronson has no public policy experience. Dunbar's been involved in his community. He's been involved in his community council. He was one of the founders of the Muldoon Farmers Market. Bronson, as far as I can tell, has no community service and no community engagement whatsoever. Neither one of them have any business experience. So when you consider all of the qualifications of these two candidates, and hold that up to the light of the last 45 years, I would argue that these are two of the least qualified candidates for mayor that we have had to select from in decades. So looking ahead to the runoff, the question is always, where do those outstanding votes 
go. When you take Dave Bronson's total and add it to Forrest Dunbar's total on election day, you get basically 64%. So you got 36% of the vote, just doing a very simplistic calculation, you got 36% of the vote that's out there. So when you look at that 36% of the vote that's outstanding, the next four finishing candidates picked up 33% of that. So basically, the top six candidates in the mayor's race on April 6th pulled in 97% of the vote. So if you look at the next four candidates, a number of those candidates have already decided and made public endorsements. So in the Dunbar total, he has picked up Bill Falsey and George Martinez. Between Falsey and Martinez, they garnered about 16.5% of the vote. So you add that to Dunbar's existing total, he's already at 47.5. Now, in the Bronson category, he's picked up the endorsement of Mike Robbins, who pulled about 7.75%. That gets Bronson to 40.7. Now, the big question is where does Bill Evans 9.5% go? I've talked to pollsters who feel that it's going to break maybe 60-40 Dunbar, but who knows? I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where, again, as always, you have to show up and vote. And now, entertainment. Entertainment. All right, after all that heavy political talk, let's close out today's podcast with a little palate cleanser. In 1945, there were two Davy Jones born just 12 months apart and only 166 miles apart in London, England. One would go on to become a famous pop star both in England and the United States, as well as, and this is probably the most important footnote of his music career, is in season three, episode 12 of The Brady Bunch, when he shows up and saves the day at Marsha Brady's high school dance. And the other would go on to become a global rock icon and one of the most transformational musicians in rock and roll history. Both of these Davy Jones grew up in and around the entertainment industry. Both of these Davy Jones were in bands by the time they were 15, both trying to break onto the London music scene in 1966. One of the Davy Jones had two bands playing in London clubs. One was called Davy Jones and the Nighttimers and Davy Jones in the Lower Third. Meanwhile, the other Davy Jones was trying to break into television. And when he did, and when Davy Jones and the Monkees became a real thing, our Davy Jones realized that it was time to change his name. So our young Davy Jones looked around the contemporary London music scene. He saw one of his contemporaries, Mick Jagger, fondly referred to in the London Music Times as Mick the Dagger Jagger. So Davy Jones thought, if he can be Mick the Dagger Jagger, I can be David Bowie, as in the Bowie Knife. And thus, a legend was born. And that's how the story of our hero begins. The book is called David Bowie, The Oral History. It's written by Dylan Jones. It checks in at 510 pages. I rated a really good read. What I really loved about the book was, as an oral history, you just got such a fabulous view of his life from his closest friends and family, ex-wives, and fellow artists during each period of his life, from his birth in 1947 to his death in 2016. A great read about an absolutely talented artist who broke new boundaries every time he reinvented himself. Again, the book is called David Bowie, The Oral History. It's written by Dylan Jones. I picked it up in paperback, and it's available in other forms.
And there is the music. And you know what that means? That means that our time is up for this podcast episode. We will be back again on Thursday, where we'll talk about a little politics, maybe, because we just had a mayor's race, something like that going on. Also, we are proud to announce that we will be launching the first of what will be many epic debates between myself and Van, where we will allow our listeners to determine the winner. Van, why don't you hit us with that website of yours? Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, if you visit abodabobrand.com, that's A-B-O-D-A-B-O-B-R-A-N-D.com, you can see a little bit more about what I do and uh, touch base with me. Excellent. All right, check it out. That's our time, and we'll see you next time.